0: okay we are on the record the story begins and welcome chapter 47 page 608 so chapter 46 chapter 47 is really a direct continuation of chapter 46 it actually by the way is the shortest chapter in the whole tanya chapter 46 provided for us a a beautiful meditation a meaningful meditation we had it for homework last time right a beautiful meditation to develop a, a true love for god a meaningful love for god meditating on how hearts reflect hearts right when somebody cares about you you feel you care about them right reflecting on how historically speaking god has cared about us for no good reason by the way unconditionally He took us out of Egypt, why? What was in it for him? He doesn't need us. He wanted to, it was an expression of love. And when we think about that, and the, the analogy we gave was a king goes to a homeless guy up the street who's wearing raggedy, dirty clothing and says, why don't you come to my palace? Why don't I clean you up? Why don't I feed you? Why don't I get you dressed? And he brings him to his chambers where Most people who even hang out in the palace are not allowed to come to without permission. And this person just comes in and develops this close relationship with the king. How is this person gonna feel? Inspired, happy, excited, going to feel a sense of love, a sense of belonging. And this is exactly what God did to us. God went to this disheveled, imprisoned nation took us out of Egypt, and he embraced us. That's the mitzvahs. He gave us his Torah. And when we think about that, th- th- there's a certain sense of unconditional love that we'll feel to God because, toward God, because he expressed it toward us. In our chapter, chapter 47, we take it to the next level. The meditation is not just thinking about how God has done this to us in the past, took us out of Egypt, but actually does it in the present, takes us out of Egypt. God in the present is taking us out of Egypt. Take a look on 608, the first bold paragraph. Right, This meditation, again, is not past tense, it's present tense. Because... Exodus. The Exodus from Egypt is is not just a historical situation; it's a um, it happens every day, or it can happen every day. Now, in every generation, this is a quote from the Mishnah. In every generate, in each and every generation, a person must see himself as if he had personally escaped from Egypt. And not only in each and every generation, but each and every day. Each day, we have to see ourselves as if we have left Egypt. Right now, what is the the historical literal exodus from Egypt means God took us out from point A to point B, right, from imprisonment to freedom. But what does the current spiritual exodus um, mean? What does this mean practically to us? What does Egypt mean? The Hebrew word Egypt, Mitzrayim, means constraints. There are certain constraints that we experience just by, by virtue of existing in a physical body. And we are, um, our soul is constrained. Our, our soul souls in a spiritual Egypt. And God takes us out. Take a look at the next bold paragraph. Our daily personal escape from Egypt refers to the escape of the godly soul from its imprisonment by the body known in Kabbalah as the primordial serpent skin, to become absorbed and, unite, and united with the blessed infinite light. So think about it this way. Let's, let's put this in, in context. Uh, imagine your soul. Think about your soul, independent, independent of your body. Your soul's peace of God, right? Which means you have within you, we have within ourselves, a divine personality. A passion toward God, an appreciation toward God, a drive toward God. right? think as your of your soul as your drive. I think that's the simplest way to to explain soul. If you had to use if you had to describe the word soul. Describe a soul using one word. We'd use the word your drive. If your animal soul, your animal drive, your divine soul, your divine godly drive, right? My godly drive is imprisoned by my body, by my body's drive, right? Because think about it this way. What does my divine soul want? What is it driven toward? Toward God, right? And it will do everything and anything it can to satiate that will, right? But how aware are we of the divine soul's drive? By, by default, naturally, unless we really work on ourselves, unless we really push ourselves, how aware are we of this drive? Not that much, usually. Unless, you know, moments of inspiration or moments of prayer, moments where we really particularly push and work on ourselves. But by default, if we're just going to go with the flow, we're not necessarily aware of this drive, and the reason is because it's imprisoned in our body, which means we're more aware of our body's drive than our soul's drive. I'm more aware of my desire for Diet Coke than my desire <laughs> than my desire to study the Talmud, and to study God's Torah, and to do a mitzvah, and to give charity, and to put on tefillin, and to light Shabbos candles, and to celebrate Shabbos, and. These are all beautiful ways to connect, but I'm more aware of my desire for Diet Coke. But that's a lot more relatable unless I think about it and learn about it, but by default, right? That's the situation. We call that imprisonment in Egypt. And for some reason, God wants to save us from Egypt. He takes us out of Egypt. When does he take us out of Egypt? Okay, there are two times, I mean, there's multiple times, but generally speaking, there are two times where we have the opportunity daily to leave this Egypt. But before we go, we continue. This Egypt that we've described just now, Makes sense? Yes. Okay, (laughs) sounds good. I thought for a second I'm talking to a bunch of people who don't understand the drive, (laughs) the body's drive. Okay, am I the only one here? I don't know. Okay, so we understand the imprisonment that we're going through. We have a divine drive and we're not that aware of it because we're more aware of our body's drive. We're imprisoned and we are released from this prison. God takes us out of Egypt. Number one, take a look at the next bold paragraph. It starts with through Torah study. So second to last one of the page. Second to last bold paragraph of the page. Through Torah study and the observance of mitzvahs, which you carry out through the day, since Torah mitzvahs caused the infinite light Of God to rest on your soul. So number one. When we study Torah. When we do a mitzvah. Those are things that. Satiate. The soul's drive. To want to connect to God. Those are things that connect the soul to God. When we study Torah. David when you're doing your three chapters of. Of Mishnah Torah. Your soul is liberated. Because your soul. It's a, think about it this way. You know, imagine you're hanging around all day with a group of people who have very skewed values, at least in your paradigm, at least from your perspective compared to to how you believe, uh, compared to your beliefs and your values, the crowd you're hanging out with has very skewed values, right? Let's just say whatever those are, right? Imagine how uncomfortable that is to the point that it starts affecting the way you think, it starts affecting your value and belief system. But then you get a chance to talk to someone for a couple of minutes with your values, right? Somebody who grew up with a more similar background, culture background, and you strike up a conversation, right? Imagine you're at work and everybody has different values that make you uncomfortable. And then you find this new person at work who has similar values to you and you chat for a couple of minutes, you feel ah, breath of fresh air, right? That's the divine soul studying Torah, studying God's values. Wow, a breath of fresh air. I'm studying God's values. Doing a mitzvah, wow. I get to do God's divine will. I get to connect. This is a breath of fresh air. This is a breath of freedom for the soul. This is an exodus from Egypt for the soul. So that's number one, right? Make sense? Think about that, by the way. Let, let's make this practical for a second. Next time you do a mitzvah, next time you're contemplating, should I do a mitzvah? Should I take some time to study Torah? Think about this. Wow, I'm giving my soul a breath of fresh air. I'm allowing my soul to kiss God. I'm allowing my soul to embrace him. This is deep. My right, God is taking me out of Egypt. I'm experiencing freedom. Uh, Just to make this more real, as as Jews, given the environment we're in, we don't live in um, the holy city of Jerusalem. We don't live in the holy city of Brooklyn, even. (laughs) We don't even live in the holy city of L.A., right? Right. We, we live in a place where the majority, where, where we are a minority. And even amongst our peers, our Jewish peers, we may be a minority in terms of the perspective we've embraced, right, in terms of the Torah. When you study Torah for those couple of minutes or you do a mitzvah, you're giving your soul a breath of fresh air. It's it's tasting real freedom, right? This is why, by the way, this may sound familiar from Perkei Avot, from Avos. Um, I think it was last week's chapter, chapter six. The only free person is a person who studies Torah. Only a person who studies Torah can be truly free. And this is why you're giving your soul a breath of fresh air. Okay. But that's very general, right? That's not a very concrete answer. Rabbi, right, somebody's asking, again, to put the Tanya into context, the Tanya is a collection of responses to people's personal challenges. Rabbi, I'm feeling imprisoned. I'm feeling uncomfortable. I'm feeling that my drive is being drowned, my my divine drive, my divine soul's drive, my godly soul's drive is being drowned by my body's urges. What do I do? Okay, so the unconcrete answer—it's still pretty concrete, but it's a general answer. Study Torah, do a mitzvah. Right? make sense, clear? Are with me? Okay. Let's make it a little bit more specific. Let's make this a little bit more emotionally challenging as well. Let's not let's let's try to challenge the emotional component of the soul. Take a look at the bottom of the page. There's something else we can do, and you know what that is: reciting the Shema. With kavana, In other words, not just reciting it, but internalizing the meaning of the Shema. The essence of the Shema is, I'm accepting God as my, the, the sovereignty of God. Take a look at the bottom of 608, please. And in particular, your escape from Mitzrayim, from Egypt, is when you consciously accept God's sovereign authority upon yourself at the time of the reciting of the Shema, 609, when you overtly accept God's unity and consciously pull down God's infinite light upon yourself to become absorbed in and unified with, when saying the words, God is our God, God is one. Think about that. Tonight, we're going to say the Shema. Tomorrow morning we'll say the Shema. And think about that. God is our God. He's not just God. He's our God. Because I'm making him mine. I'm accepting his sovereignty upon me. And this God is one. This God is relevant. Imagine the freedom at that moment. For us it's a moment. But it's really an eternity. But imagine for that moment the freedom that your soul's experiencing. A moment of truth. A moment of reality. We live in a, and again, this is nobody's fault. This is just, I I guess some people can be blamed for this, but no, I'm kidding. (laughs) But we we live in a, by virtue of just existing, we, we live in a world of falsehood. We really do. I hate to put a downer on things. But we live in a world that judges everything by what it sees, not by the reality. And I, I mean this on, on every single level, by the way. I mean this politically. I mean this socially. I mean this um, religiously. I mean this um, on on every single level, right? We live in a world where optics are more are valued more than truth. Um, You know, it's more important to look good than to be good, right? That that's the essence of politics. But but forget politics for a second. I'll give you an example. Um, I'm trying to think of a practical example and it's not coming to my mind. Fake news. Right, okay, fake news. Being being more popular, right? saying what's popular rather than what's true. Saying what's going to make you look good rather than doing good. We we do live in a... By the way, that's the definition of klipa. What does klipa mean? Klipa literally means a shell appeal, it's the external. We go by what we see rather than the internal, right? Rather than the, than what's real, than what something really is. We go by what it looks like rather than what it is. Um, most people judge by what they, by the way, the concept in Judaism of tzniyoth, tzniyoth of modesty, of modest dress, modest, modest, tug twisted of modest dress is I'm not going by just by looks. Looks are important. Optics are important, but optics aren't the the only thing. Um, We're going by the reality of the person, the essence of the person, right? But that's not the world we live in. And that's why we need to close our eyes. What do we do when we say the Shema? We say God is one. We close our eyes remind ourselves that it's not about what we see it's about the emet, it's about the truth which is not always visible sometimes we can't use our eyes to sense truth right don't astray after your eyes and after your heart like the torah says don't go by what you see go by the actual truth close your eyes and just say the Shema. right this is a moment of freedom when you close your eyes you cover your eyes and you make that statement of, I'm not going by what my eyes tell me, I'm gonna go by what my soul wants. That's a moment of freedom. That's a moment of, wow, God, you just took me out of Egypt. It seems like when we came out of Egypt, the mass of Jewish humanity had to be taught that because they everything was give me a miracle give me another miracle give me a pillar fire give me food that i don't have to work for and and they weren't really listening i mean when even when god spoke from the mountain they fainted or died or whatever and they it wasn't what god was saying it was what he was the illusion sort of what he was doing and they didn't want to concentrate on what he was saying until they were taught now, I guess they 100%. were bought that over the 40 years. Exactly. You know, Maimonides actually writes that. Um, he doesn't write it in of Torah. He writes in one of his other writings that, you know, one of the 13 principles of faith enumerated by Maimonides is belief in the resurrection of the dead. Like, we mentioned this in our class before. Why isn't it mentioned in the Torah? It's so explicitly. It's, in, it's mentioned in the prophets, but why isn't it in the Torah? It's so fundamental. Maimonides says at that point, just historically, they weren't ready to hear that. You can't handle the truth exactly <laughs> It wasn't until later they were trained in the days of the prophets that they were finally ready to hear the truth the ultimate truth. Hmm. But, but, but you're right it, it definitely required training and for us it requires training. Freedom is unfortunately our default is not freedom right? the default is the divine is the animal soul pull the animal soul drive. On the divine soul drive. To get that freedom, you know, we got to take a few minutes and really meditate on what the Shema is all about. Really close our eyes. We close our eyes. It's a closing eyes meditation. We cover our eyes and we say, well, let's not go by what we see. Let's listen. Shema, listen. Listen, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Let's make it real. 100%. And now the truth is, There's an interesting dichotomy here. On the one hand, this is not the default. We have to kind of put in a little effort. On the other hand, the potential to experience freedom is not something we need to earn. It's an existent resource that we just need to tap into. Our patriarchs earned it. Abraham earned it. Abraham went through 10 tests and he was, he's earned it. Us regular folk who are descendants of Abraham. We don't need to earn it. We, we've got it. We just need to want it. Abraham had to earn it. We need to just want it. Right? Take a look on 610. Um, the first bold paragraph on 610. As far as we're concerned, our personal, un- our, uh, our personal unification with God's infinite light through the Torah is not something we've earned through our own merits, but an inheritance. Right? You know what you need to do to get an inheritance? Exist. That's it. <laughs> That's all you gotta do. And a gift. That's matana to us. Like we say, He gave Natan us a Torah. He gave us his Torah because it's a gift. And the truth is, when God gave us his Torah, what he really gave us is himself. And he implanted his blessing, his blessed will and wisdom in the Torah. That will and wisdom being one with his very essence and being in total unity. And so it's as if he gave us his own very self, so to speak. God gave us the Torah, what he really did when he gave us the torah by the way you know what he's really giving himself he's giving himself look look at it this way look at the torah as a means of communication right one of the most important tools in communication is focusing not on what's being said but who's saying it right don't focus on what's being said, focus on who's saying it, because the context of who's saying it is going to change everything. Right? Like, like, like they say, when somebody asks a question, you know, they they, they say this about the Lubavitcher Rebbe, he wouldn't answer people's questions, he would answer people. He wasn't answering the question, he was answering the person. He was able to sense what they needed, right? One of the arts of communication is being able to connect to the person that's communicating the individual that's communicating not just the content of what's being communicated connecting to the communicator or not the means of what they're using to communicate going back to the torah god is sharing us his values what's he really giving us himself he's saying i'm talking to you just listen like these are my words These are my values. These are my desires. When you're studying the Torah, when we study the Torah, whether it be the laws of the Torah, such as in the Talmud or the Mishnah Torah or the Shulchan Aruch, or we study the text of the Torah itself or its prophets, etc. We're studying God's values. We're really connecting to God himself. So if we want freedom, the truth is Abraham had to earn freedom. He had to work for it. Us, we have to just want it, but it's right in front of us. It's right here. It literally is right here. The book is right here. Right now, we're connecting to God's values. We're connecting to God himself. He's communicating to us. We're open to that communication. Right? Um, So if that's the case, why don't we experience it that way? It's all in front of us. The framework is in front of us. The ability to experience this sense of freedom, a.k.a. the divine soul's drive, this connection to God through his Torah, because he's communicating with us and we're connecting to him through the Shema, because we connect to him, right? There's breath of fresh air. It's right here. Why don't we actually experience it? What's holding us back? So he says here, look on page 612. We're going to jump to 612. He says, there's one thing holding us back. Can anybody guess what it is? interpretation okay not not quite (laughs) take a step back a little bit more general what's what's really holding us back Mm -hmm. interpretation is a part of it but interpretation implies the fact that you're trying to interpret implies that you're interested right yeah Mm -hmm being vulnerable vulnerable okay a little closer the the, the false false um facade okay being honest we have interpretation we have vulnerability we have honesty okay um if you're if you're going to put in the effort to interpret if you're going to put in the effort to be vulnerable and the effort to be honest the implication is that you're interested, right? Yeah. Which means so that if we're missing this connection, what we're actually missing is interest. Take a look on 612. Top of 612. Nothing other than our will is holding us back from connecting our souls with God's oneness and light. Since if a person doesn't want to connect with him at all, God forbid he has the free will to do so. What's holding us back? ourselves if mm-hmm. we want it it can happen it's it's so open we, like we've been going through all these things of op- being open to it it's yeah. in the whole tanya exactly 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 now to to again to put this in context of what the tanya is all about how it originally started it was a it was a collection of of um counseling sessions informal rabbinic counseling sessions right Rabbi, I'm not feeling the freedom. Okay, here's the framework. Study the Torah, say the Shema, make it meaningful, meditate. Okay, but I'm still not feeling it. Okay, bottom line, do you want it? (laughs) If we want it, nothing can get us, nothing can get in the way. Nothing can get in the way if we really want it. Right? I I had a teacher, this line will always stick with me. I love it. Whenever he would talk to us, try to inspire us at the end, he would say, I have good news and I have bad news and they're both the same. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> you want it? It's going to happen. You don't want it? Nobody's, nobody's going to force us. Like, God won't force us. But t- take, take a look on paragraph two of 612. But as soon as you desire godliness, accept it, pull it upon yourself, and say, quote from the Shema, God is our God, God is one. Say it like when we really say it, like we mean it. Then without having to reach the level of Abraham, of having to earn this, right? It's available. Your soul's automatically absorbed in God's oneness. Our soul is getting a breath, a breath of freedom, a breath of fresh air. So the spirit evokes spirit and pulls down spirit. This creates a whole chain of inspiration. And this is a daily experience of escaping Egypt. This is literally escaping Egypt. To want God, to experience God, and to set ourselves up to actually connect to God, that's freedom for the soul. Which, by the way, it's interesting. When, when the way of the Shema prayer, by the way, is structured, it's very efficient. Because there's 613 mitzvahs, right? One of which are to recite the Shema daily, twice daily. There's another mitzvah to recite and remember the exodus from Egypt daily. And what we do is a two for, two for one. In the Shema prayer, we we say the Shema, and we also mention the exodus from Egypt, we got to fill two birds with one stone. You say one prayer and you do two mitzvahs, right? Technically, if you just analyze the text, they have no apparent connection with one another. It's two different mitzvahs and and When our sages set up these siddur and organized it, they were very efficient. But it's more than that. There actually is a connection. When we recite the Shema, we're actually leaving Egypt. And that's why both these mitzvahs, the mitzvah to recite the Shema, the mitzvah to leave Egypt, are bundled together. Okay, a little bit of homework for a second. Some homework um let let's let's meditate on this chapter this is really a beautiful chapter and can really 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 put purpose and meaning to our day in the morning it can really give us clarity let's try this think about this let's think about this for a second if you want you can close your eyes you don't have to but let's think about this for a moment let's go through this let's just go through the chapter go through the meditation for a moment God expresses his love to me. He takes me out of Egypt. He didn't just historically take me out of Egypt in the past. He continues to take me out of Egypt in the present. Right now, my soul's drive is in Egypt. It's in prison because I'm more aware of my body's drive than my soul. I'm more aware of my drive for fill in whatever you want right diet coke whatever it might be then my drive to connect to god my drive to communicate to god and god takes me out of egypt well how when i study torah it's a breath of fresh air for the soul when i do a mitzvah a breath of fresh air for the soul when i say shema like i mean it and i say the lord is our god the lord is one and i really connect to that concept i really um embrace god's sovereignty a breath of fresh air for the soul when i recognize that when god gives me the torah he's communicating with me when i study the torah i think about that a breath of fresh air for the soul and all i need to do to make this breath of fresh air uh, more than just a breath but more consistent is to inspire an interest to inspire a will. The whole vulnerability, honesty, interpretation, motivation, it all boils down to, I want this. I want to communicate with God. That's my story and I'm sticking to it.